0: Please bet on football
1: games. Welcome one last time. It is Super Bowl week. Please bet on football games. I'm Joe, still the host. Alex hasn't taken it back yet. Speaking of which, this is Alex.
0: How's it going? Happy to be back for the Super Bowl. You guys can find me at I underscore like underscore sports six.
1: And I don't know where you can find me because I'm going through a little bit of a transition phase on Twitter. So I, I don't know. We'll see. If you find me, you find me. But anyway, um, no bullshit, no recap, no pumpkin report. That's all in last week's pod. Go check it out if you haven't. All we've got to do now is talk about the one and only game on the card, the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah. So for this Super Bowl, we have the Los Angeles Rams going to play the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are plus four.
1: We have the Los Angeles Rams going to play the Bengals in LA because. The NFL is a strange place that doesn't make sense. You, you, you know what? I'm okay with it. Fuck it. Um, so I'm actually a little surprised that this line is still stuck at four. I really thought it was going to get out to Rams minus six.
0: Me too. I thought it would at least be at five by now.
1: Because it was at four and a half, creeping to five last weekend. And then all of a sudden a bunch of buyback came and now it's down to four.
0: Hey, I'll take it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is is—it is the single most public bet game of the year in any sport by a large margin. And the Bengals are cool. Like, they are, everybody, they're, they're
0: very hyped. They're everybody very hyped loves right to now. tell me
1: how fucking cool Joe Burrow is and like how swag. Oh my God. Which you can't deny. The glasses are, it's a bold move and it works for him. He's a he actually is a cool dude. He says all the right things and he doesn't seem like a douche when he says them. So I appreciate that. But Tom Brady doesn't always seem like a very cool dude. And I still love him because the whole point of this thing is football, not dating. We're not dating these dudes,
0: even though some people probably would like to.
1: Okay, I almost just went down a tangent of like how attractive is grown Macaulay Culkin. But we're not going to do that because this is about football. So, without further ado, let's uh, shall we start with Bengals offense versus Rams defense? Because I think that's where everybody's making the bones this week.
0: Yeah, let's jump in.
1: Okay, so we're gonna start up front because you should always start up front, and there's a lot to talk about up front. The Bengals' much maligned offensive line going up against the Rams. So, the Rams' defensive line was always good, but now that Von Miller is trying to play football again in the playoffs, it's really good. And everybody's talked about how this is going to be a problem for the Bengals, but I think it's going to be a much bigger problem than people realize.
0: Do you think it'll be like last year in the Super Bowl where Mahomes is just running around the entire game?
1: Yes. Um, and I think that that'll be, this is exactly how the whole fucking thing's going to play out, the whole narrative. The Rams defensive line is going to just destroy the Bengals offensive line. Burrow is going to be running around with like a chicken with his head cut off, just like Mahomes was last year, partially because it's what he does and partially because he's going to kind of need to. And that's going to lead. And then he's going to throw interceptions and terrible passes. And it's just going to be awful. But everybody is just going to say exactly like they said last year about Mahomes. Oh, no other quarterback could have even done anything because he was completely under siege. Like he actually played amazing. It's just he he was under so much pressure. And I'm probably gonna get really angry and put some clips and some screenshots on Twitter saying, like, when you hit a player in the hands that is not on your team with the football, that's a bad throw. I don't care how cool it looked as you fell to your knees. Um and then next year, coming into the season, everybody's gonna be like, oh. Joe Burrow, he was so fucking good. They went to the Super Bowl and they lost, but he still played amazing. And now they have reinforcements on the line and the Bengals are going to come out valued as a good to great team. And I'm going to pay my rent for the entire year, fading them in the first month of the season.
0: Yeah, I mean, who knows how this game will end up? I could very, very possibly see that being the case, though. I think no matter what, you're right, though. People are going to be really high on the Bengals. There is no even if they get completely blown out this game.
1: There is absolutely no possible outcome of this game that involves people souring on Joe Burrow because they have the built-in excuse of I know the name of three players on the Rams defense, and two of them rush the passers. So therefore, Joe Burrow had no chance anyways. And then if he plays well, like bury your fucking head in the sand because it's gonna be tough to get along with people. Um that said. Joe Burrow didn't have one A or B game all season and I've graded every single one of his games. So I'm not really worried about that possibility. Anyhow, back to the so nitty-gritty. Take,
0: take me through that. What what were his average grades or what did he average out at?
1: Oh God. Into Joe Burrow. Okay. We'll get into Joe Burrow. So I, I just completed his I I finished grading every single game of the entire season by Joe Burrow, like yesterday or maybe the day before. Um his Average grade on the season was one point four, which is a low C minus, high D plus. Uh, his median grade was a C minus, and his mode was a C minus. So, real like speaking of the numbers we actually have, he usually got a C minus, and just theoretically, mean you know that's what average is. Theoretically, he was actually a little worse. So it was it was bad. It was bad. Um. His highest graded game was week 17 against Kansas City, where he got a B minus, and I frankly thought that was being gracious because he still had more negative plays than positive plays on the game. So
0: what are you seeing differently? Because most everyone is really high on him and was high on him throughout the whole year. So what what what's different from your view?
1: Okay, so there's there are a few things. First of all, a lot of Joe Burrow's most memorable plays came on – prayers. Um, Jamar Chase or T Higgins deep down the field, late in the play. And Joe Burrow just hunts the ball up there with his arm, maxing out his range, which is literally, and this is being generous. He can't get the ball more than 50 yards downfield. Like he can get a running. He literally did. There was one game where he got a running start and he put everything into a ball. And it was underthrown. It went 49 yards downfield. And naturally, Jamar Chase skied over two defenders and almost made a play. Like he almost caught the fucking ball. Um, so he had plenty of plays that tons of air yards technically accurate because it was a completed pass, but it was not indicative of a good play by the quarterback so much as a prayer and a ton of confidence in his guys who have amazing skills at the catch point. Like as low as I've always been on Jamar Chase, my comparison for him coming out was Marvin Jones, who has amazing skill at the catch point. And then T Higgins, is a lot like an Alshon Jeffrey, just insane ball skills at the catch point. They high point the ball really well. They're strong and aggressive with their hands. If it's in the air, they turn 50-50 balls into 70-30 balls, and Joe Burrow reaps the benefit. Um, Another thing is just the dude had an amazing amount of dropped interceptions or interceptions that should have been. Now, I'm a little confused because typically, I typically don't agree with PFF's quarterback grading. Uh, we've been over that plenty of times, but it's usually not that far off, especially their turnover-worthy plays and big-time throws. Like, I can see where they're coming from, usually. On Joe Burrow, I think they said they had 14 turnover-worthy plays from Joe Burrow on the season, or on the regular season. Um, that's fucking absurd, because I counted 26 interceptable passes from Joe Burrow in the regular season, and then another three in the postseason. Um, now, I thought, fine. I may grade plays that they don't, I don't know what PFF does, but personally, I try to grade as many valid plays as possible. So if there's a penalty that's like totally unrelated to the game, I'm going to count that play. For instance, there were three balls where Joe Burrow, or sorry, there were four balls where Joe Burrow threw an interception or a dropped interception. And the play was called back for something totally silly, like a hands to the face by a defensive lineman on an offensive lineman, or a holding on the other side of the play or a late hit after the pass. So a roughing the passer after the throw had already gotten out, right? And I could see PFF saying like, ah, eh, penalty, don't count it. Fine. So take away four, we're down to 22 interceptable balls on the year. And then there are another three where Joe Burrow threw against leverage. So basically leverage is just the side, like, let's say you're running a streak as a wide receiver. The cornerback is on your right hip. And he's behind you, so he has outside short leverage, right? Like that's if you throw the ball outside and short, the defensive back should pick the ball, right? Uh, whereas if you throw it inside to the side that the cornerback's not on, that would be an, that's the avenue, that's the open avenue. That's what leverage is. Joe Burrow threw the ball against leverage three tri- three times on deep balls, so jamar chase for instance is running a streak and he's bending towards the middle of the field from the right side of the field the ball was to the right of him by the sideline and short where the cornerback should have been but the cornerback lost it in the lights or just like was staring at jamar chase and didn't notice the ball hitting him in his literal ass i say that's pickable because if the cornerback had any idea where he was it would have been the easiest pick of all time um and like if you throw that ball ten times with that cornerback in that position 10 times, I think the cornerback's going to notice there's a ball coming directly at his torso at least five times. Therefore, I think it's a pickable ball. But I could see it. I could, I can see the argument. No, that's not pickable. Okay. So take those away as well. We're still at 19 pickable balls relative to PFF's 14. So, I, I, and it's not like, taking like, if we take away these interceptions, we we turn his 26 interceptions into 19. So we take away all the ones that I graded as bad PFF maybe didn't grade. It doesn't change anything His season stats are still terrible. So I think a lot of it is just, they won, they put up huge stats against a Baltimore defense that was completely broken. Like that game against Baltimore, where he had like 500 yards, I gave him a C on the performance. Because he had 30 pedestrian throws. It's just that the Ravens secondary was so broken physically, literally, that they had backups in there busting coverages every play. They didn't know what they were doing. So he'd throw a three-yard crosser, and there's literally nobody covering the receiver. So he gets another 30 yards. Or like Jamar Chase had one play where he was 20 yards open because a cornerback didn't move at the snap. So Joe Burrow threw him a 20-yard ball. Jamar Chase stopped, looked at the ball, turned around, waited, caught the ball, and then started running and scored a touchdown 40 yards th- more downfield because nobody was near him. Like, that's not impressive. So that was a really long-winded answer. but No, I think that was in-depth, though. I think that's
0: what I'm looking for and what other people are looking for because I'm obviously not as high on him as others are, but I'm higher on him than you are. So I always like to see where you're coming
1: from because you – do more in depth study mean, trust me, but while while I was doing this film study, I wanted, I wanted to see something from Joe Burrow. Like I was extra gracious on a lot of throws because I was just like, come on, man. He's in the fucking Super Bowl. And everybody thinks that he might be better than Justin Herber. Everybody thinks he might be the next Tom Brady. There's got to be something here that I'm missing, right? No. It turns out he just he just fucking played roulette and it came up on his number a few times in a row. That doesn't make him yeah. a better roulette player than anybody else. It just means that sometimes shit happens. Like Eli Manning, like Joe Flacco, shit happens.
0: Yeah, and I think it's one of the things where we like to see cool people succeed. And it's a fun story. It's an and amazing story. it's someone that everyone can get behind and root for. So we're, people are quicker to jump on it because it's something we want to happen.
1: This reminds me of... I actually spent an hour this morning trying to find the actual clip in the movie so that I could fucking use it here. But in the big short, it's probably my favorite quote. Guy in the bar says, you know, the truth is like poetry. And most Americans fucking hate poetry. And it's so true, because if you watch all of Joe Burrow's film and you spend way too much fucking time breaking him down, you realize that he kind of sucks. And this is kind of not a fun story. But if you just watch ESPN and you just like watch him walk in on the red carpet with his pink Cartier glasses and his fucking turtleneck looking sick as fuck, having cool quotes and awesome interviews on pardon my take, you might come away thinking, holy shit, the NFL is so set. We have such a fun storyline for the Super Bowl. Like what a guy. I love this character. And I get robbed of that because I care about silly things like actual performance and
0: reality. And it's okay. We'll profit off it.
1: (laughs) Yes, we will. So this is a really, really roundabout way of getting to the defensive line matchup. But as I was saying, I think that it's worse for the Bengals than people realize because having watched every Bengals game all season. Now I realized that the Bengals run on first and second down probably more than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's really bad. And they're, Typically fairly well-designed runs, and Joe Mixon's a great player, but their offensive line sucks, and they're not very productive on these runs. Now, I heard it posited that maybe the Bengals are running on first and second down because you can't get sacked and lose 10 yards if you run, and that is a good point. Uh, Joe Burrow can't put the ball in harm's way if you run on first down. This is a good point. So it's like almost damage mitigation. They're afraid of their own offense. Um, They should be. That's actually a pretty intelligent maneuver if that's what you're trying to do. Um, however, I, I had an idea that I, I know the Rams won't do, but it is my wet dream that the Rams would line up with a front four of Aaron Donald and Von Miller on the edges. And then in the middle, they would put Greg Gaines, a very good nose guard, and then a Sean Robinson, a very good nose guard. So three defensive tackles and an edge. You're not gonna get a ton of pass rush, but if you line Von Miller up on the right tackle, against Prince, who sucks, he's going to get his. And then the other three are going to stuff that line in the run game so significantly that Joe Burrow will be facing third and eight or worse every single time. And I don't care how much magic you have in you, that's not going to work.
0: Yeah, I think the Bengals have run a lot and it's been to their benefit because they've kind of slogged out these games in a similar way the 49ers did, where they would just really chew clock, try and keep the score low, limit possessions for the other team. And they've done a really good job of that. But you're right in that a lot of it has been clutch, luck, whatever you want to call it, stuff in late game moments. And, you know, picking up some uh some of the stuff on the broken plays now do you think that's going to continue and it's this magic they have going and it's fate or destiny that it's going to work out i don't think so i think that eventually the talent's going to come to the front in the same way that we saw with the rams beating the 49ers uh and the bengals i don't know if they'll do that defense that you brought up that would be really interesting to see they won't but but it would be so brilliant Mm-hmm. But regardless, the Bengals are just so inept on the offensive line. Burrow holds the ball really long. So well, they, they should be able to have him under pressure the entire.
1: The other thing is that like, okay, let's say Jonah Williams is a good left tackle. He's good. Yeah. But we've been, we've been over it a million times. His kryptonite is actual athletes because he is so technically sound and so smart, but he's not athletic. He's small. He's got short arms. He's short. He's lightweight and he's not particularly quick. So Leonard Floyd is like the perfect matchup for him, where Leonard Floyd is a lesser talent than him, but Leonard Floyd is all athleticism. Like, Leonard Floyd doesn't have technique, so it doesn't matter. Like, you can, like, Jonah Williams will get in front of him all day long, and then Leonard Floyd will just be bigger, stronger, and faster. And then on the other side, you've got the right tackle Prince. We already mentioned he sucks, and Von Miller's gonna eat his lunch. we have got Adenagy, who's probably the worst offensive lineman starting in the NFL, and he's gonna have to go against Aaron Donald. You got Trey Hopkins, who's a bad center probably the worst starting center in the NFL, and he's got to go against Aaron Donald. And you got Quentin Spain, who's been fine, but he's got to go against Aaron Donald or Greg Gaines. So they're going to double Donald with Hopkins and one of the guards, whichever one he lines up against. Donald probably still wins that because the center sucks and one of the guards sucks. And then you got Greg Gaines going against either Adenogy, which is an easy win, or Spain, which is a stalemate. So they're going to get pressure. It's going to be a lot. And then I think that the Rams... We spoke a couple weeks ago about how the Rams have a lot of safeties now, like all of a sudden safety went from being a terrible problem to kind of a real asset for them. Cause Eric Weddle was played really well in the box and uh, that strong safety that they brought in from their special teams, Nick Scott. I love him. He's, he's really good. And then they got Taylor Rapp back. So I think if they play Weddle at some linebacker and they're going to blitz him because they love blitzing safeties and linebackers, he's going to get a free rush and They definitely, they definitely have a lot
0: of options with the uh, the safeties getting healthy and playing well. By the way, they seem like they can just plug safeties in and they work.
1: So the Rams, long ago, like four or five years ago, they started doing this thing. I don't remember his name, but he's the general manager of the Lions now. He was their head scout uh, that really worked on the defense, and he basically had this crackpot theory because they never had any draft picks in the early rounds. He said, "Fuck it, I'm literally not gonna fucking." I'm not looking at athletic numbers or anything. I'm hardly even watching tape. I'm just going to go find safeties that have really, really high Wonderlick scores. He just went and got all the dudes that tested well on the Wonderlick and AIQ, athletic intelligence quotient. Just all he did was just look for really smart dudes at safety. And he ended up coming up with a lot of dudes you never thought would be great. Like John Johnson III, who is Cleveland performance aside, he was great in LA. This Nick Scott, like Taylor Rapp was more of a known entity. And a higher pick, I think he was a second or third rounder, um, but still just getting smart safeties that are not gonna bust coverages, they're gonna be sure tacklers, and it works, especially because yeah. no. they play those high shells. Like no, I
0: think the the issue for that every defense has had with the Bengals so far is can you stop their receivers? Do yeah. you think the Rams are gonna
1: be able to stop these receivers? So as much as the middle of the field, that front seven. I call it the front seven, even though the linebackers suck, because really the way that modern football is played, especially the Rams, it is your defensive line. And then the combination of your box safeties and linebackers, um, that is very much advantage Rams. However, on the outside, it's advantage Bengals, partially because of the matchup. So there's there's a pick your own adventure for Raheem Morris. And I think that for once, he's actually going to do the correct adventure. There are two ways that you can play this if you're the Rams. You can say, okay, Jamar Chase has been breaking games. Got to stop him. We have Jalen Ramsey, who's supposed to be a good cornerback, even though he's not really. Throw Ramsey on Chase and just shadow his ass all day, right? Try to take Chase out of the game. Or you can do what the Cowboys did with Deion Sanders. And this is actually what I think that the Rams will do because it's what they've done all year. As much as we, as a public, talk about Jalen Ramsey as an elite shadow corner, the Rams have not used him that way. In fact, a lot of the year he's played the slot. The Rams typically line him up on a second wide receiver and then they devote more resources to stopping the number one. And I think that's what they'll do here. So I think that they're going to have Ramsey shadow Higgins, which I think is really smart. If you put Ramsey on chase, theoretically... In the Twitter world where Jalen Ramsey is an elite corner, you shut down Chase. But then the problem is you've got Darius Williams, who is five nine, against T. Higgins, who's like six five and plays more like six ten. And even if Darius Williams is in phase every snap, it doesn't matter because Joe Burrow could just throw the ball three feet above Darius Williams' head, and T. Higgins can reach down and catch it, and Darius Williams can jump up on his tippy toes and not touch it, you know?
0: Yeah, they can run their favorite play.
1: Yeah. Like it's literally just a low post lob in basketball. Um, and like Darius Williams is a really, really long dude. He's got a six foot two wingspan, despite only being five nine. And he is pretty good. He's good pretty vertical. He can jump pretty well. So he plays a lot bigger than five nine, which is nice, but he doesn't play six five T. Higgins big. Jalen Ramsey can handle that shit much better. And T. Higgins is not particularly fast or quick or good at running routes. So Jalen Ramsey doesn't have to worry about that. He can just play the ball and make big, cool hits. So that's Jalen Ramsey's fucking wheelhouse. On the other side, then you've got Darius Williams on Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is only 6'1". So the size advantage is not very big because Darius Williams does play so much bigger than 5'9". His wingspan is that of a person that is taller than Jamar Chase. So he's got that, and he's fast enough to run with him. Jamar Chase will still have an advantage though, and that's why I think that the Rams will put a safety over the top so darius Williams can be aggressive and physical and take chances and then you've got taylor rapp coming over the top to make sure that jamar chase isn't busting one deep down the field you know um that is what the rams have done that is what i think it would be smart for the rams to do and when those things match up i'm very confident and encouraged then all you've got left is tyler boyd running things out of the slot and i actually really like david long jr uh he is 5'11 he is a slot corner he's out of michigan He is one of two David Long Juniors in the NFL, and he's he's not particularly special, but he is a solid nickelback, and Tyler Boyd is a solid slot receiver, so it's a perfect match for me. All you've got left is what's left of CJ Uzama's knee versus whatever voids he can find in the middle of the field. I'll take that chance. I actually really like how the Rams secondary could end up playing against this Bengals wide receiving core. And I legitimately believe, based on prior performance, prior strategy, that they will optimize their chances, which is rare, because usually they do the dumb easy thing. Like They're not going to be smart enough to roll out a three or four defensive tackle front, like I said, on first and second down. They're not going to be smart enough to take that risk and play that tendency, but they will be smart enough to put Ramsey on Higgins and then double up on Chase with a safety.
0: Yeah, especially if that's something they've been doing all year, that seems likely. I mean, Jamar's going to get his, and I worry about him after the catch, because say, okay, you have Darius Williams go play aggressive. And he gets a nine-yard ball that he has two steps on Darius Williams because he tried to jam him at the line or jump something. And now Taylor Rapp has to come up and make a tackle in the open field against Jamar, who is very fast. So that's the only place that I worry about. And I would guess that they'll break one or two like that if that's the route they go. Granted, I think if you put Ramsey on uh, Jamar, he's still going to break one or two like that. And it's going to be death by a thousand paper cuts of just, he won't, he he can't get off the field on third down because they're throwing, you know, jump balls to Higgins. Uh, So I think they're going to be able to get theirs. But overall, the amount of pressure the Rams should be able to generate and having some versatility and strength in the safety room now should let them play really loose and flexible. Obviously, it's going to come down to the corners, or rather whether the Bengals wide receivers can keep making magic happen.
1: And that's That's been the story of the Bengals offense all year, by the way. Like, fuck Joe Burrow magic. What it's really been is how sustainable is it for the Bengals wide receivers to win at the catch point and break plays that are on the verge like they take a defense that is a step slow hesitant or a little bit broken and they break them wide open that's not going to happen in the Super Bowl not against this Rams team that is so much better than any secondary they've played like yeah the, the, the Bengals aren't scoring points in the playoffs at all and they played the Chiefs in prevent defense which is a secondary that is really bad at tackling and a pass rush that is not very good they played the Titans which is a secondary that's not particularly good. And Christian Fulton, who's a terrible tackler, despite being a great corner, the, the Bengals scored 23 points, I think, and seven of them came off of a screen pass where there was no tackling from Christian Fulton. And I think they might've got another seven on a screen pass to Samadji Piran. I don't remember which game that was.
0: I think that was Kansas City game.
1: I, sure. I think it was yeah. too, but the song remains the same. They've been abusing teams that can't tackle. The Rams, for their warts on defense, can tackle. and. Even given their druthers, they're scoring 23 points.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, you want to go to the other side of the ball? Do you think the Rams are going to be able to score more than 23 points?
1: So I haven't thought about this side of the ball as much just because I don't think it's particularly important. However, if you just look at the lineup, like both of these teams are terrible at linebacker. So let's just get that out of the way. Um, and they make up with, for it with their safeties. So it's not as big of an issue as it could be. Cooper Cup is going to have his hands full with Mike Hilton. Mike Hilton is getting a little older, but he's still a really good nickel corner. One of the best. Um, Now, it doesn't particularly matter because Cooper Cup is real good. Not nearly as good as people say, but he's real good. And Sean McVay will scheme him open. Like most of the time when Cooper Cup's open, it's not because he's doing anything special. It's because Sean McVay is putting the defense in conflict where they're torn between their assignment and like the reality of the play. So like I I was watching some breakdowns today. And one of the plays that the Rams love running is they love creating a a high, low read by just running like, you know, you go, um, you go double left. It's typically to the left. So go two wide receivers left. They'll have the outside man just run a streak and they'll have the slot receiver cup run a deep out. And basically if you're running zone, you're fucked because if it's a zone, there's one corner trying to cover that 10 to 15 yard range. And he has to decide, okay, do I carry up the field with the streak? Like, do I cover the streak or do I cover the out? If he picks the streak, you throw the out to cup. You've got 15 yards. You're on the sideline. Boom, done. If he picks cup, you've got Odell Beckham or Van Jefferson running by him. And Matt Stafford hits him for a pop shot for 20 to 30 yards. Like that spot right in between the corner and the safety in his zone defense there's no defending that if you're in zone there, it doesn't matter if it's mike hilton or Deion sanders there's nothing you can do other than guess right and you can't guess right because the whole point is stafford makes the decision after the cornerback makes his determination right so that sucks like there's nothing you can do and if they man up which they don't do as often again you've got cooper cup usually wanting running option routes and wheel routes which are not guardable Like, I don't, again, I don't care if you're Deion Sanders, you can't guard an option route. It's not possible. You can prolong it and hope that you get a sack, but you can't guard an option route long-term. So Cup's going to get his. Odell Beckham's going to get his because he's going to be going against Cheeto Ouzier, who is very good, but not physical, which means that they will get Odell Beckham the ball on fades. They will get him a short curl and get him yards after the catch. And then on the other side, you've got Eli Apple, the worst ball skills in the NFL versus Van Jefferson a jump ball possession receiver. So I actually kind of like how their receivers match up. And then finally, the way that the Bengals win on defense is with their edge rushers being so good. The problem is that the Rams have a good offensive line that is strongest on the bookends. Whitworth and Havenstein are going are veterans who have had two weeks to rest now, which is a huge deal for them in their own homes, no less. They're going to be the healthiest they've been in months And I am very confident that they will be able to shut down Hendrickson and Hubbard because those are good defensive ends, even great in Hendrickson's case. But these are great offensive tackles as well. And then the defensive interior for the Bengals, now that they're missing Ogunjobi, is terrible. So you've got a Rams team who runs the ball really well. And everybody's talking about, oh, they haven't been effective running the ball in the playoffs. Well, motherfucker, they played the Buccaneers. Nobody runs on the Buccaneers. They played the 49ers nobody runs on the 49ers these are the two hardest teams to run against and yes the rams have been bad at running the ball against them i'm shocked now they're playing a team with a terrible defensive interior and terrible linebackers who are also going to be stressed the fuck out in the passing game i think cam Akers is going over his rushing yards i think it's like 60 i'm I'm gonna take that over
0: yeah i mean you you have dj reader in the middle who's really great in the run game but that's it
1: yeah look take dj reader he stuffs the run, does not get any pass rush. So you're going to be able to pass again. And then I can double him with a good safety or a good center in Brian Allen and a solid guard in Austin Corbett. I can I can get him out of the way with those two dudes. And now all I have is a one-on-one with David Edwards and one of BJ Hill or something named Sample, who is terrible.
0: BJ Hill's pretty good in the run game, though, too. Yeah, he's fine. I, uh... I think they'll be able to to run a little bit. That, that D-line is strong against the run because Hubbard's really great against the run. Hubbard is great against the run. DJ Reed is go great against, against the run. Hubbard's got to go against Rob Havenstein. It is. Uh, they They're The Rams are strong in the right places. I don't think it's going to be a given they're going to be able to run. I think they, they will for the most part because you're right in that the matchups are good and the Bengals have no linebackers whatsoever. I don't think it's going to be seamless. I think where they'll really win, though, is the passing game, which you've covered to a good amount. Yeah. Just because I think they're going to be able to nickel and dime down the field if they want to. They don't have to get a bunch of big explosive plays or anything. They just need consistent completions. And again, I they don't have to score that much, or I don't expect them to need
1: to. Well, And just like, okay, for all the warts on Odell Beckham, for as much shit as we talk, If you look at the playoffs, which nobody really was, everybody was like, "Ah, Odell Beckham, he's nice on the Rams, whatever. But everybody started saying, LOL, the Browns fucked up when Odell Beckham started playing in the playoffs and having some big catches. And if you look at all those catches, literally almost all of them, they're all catch point plays. It's not that Odell caught the ball and did something, you know, not Tyreek Hill. It's more Odell Beckham went up and got that ball or like Odell Beckham in traffic snagged that ball. And you've got a secondary full of dudes, Mike Hilton being the exception, you've got a secondary full of dudes who aren't actually great within their ball skills, especially Eli Apple, who's terrible as far as ball skills go. Awuzie and Apple have been making their bread by tackling after the catch, by staying in phase and like being fast. The catch point is not where they win. And Van Jefferson, he wins at the catch point, like T. Higgins. Odell Beckham has been winning at the catch point. So I think that despite the fact that the Bengals cornerbacks aren't bad, they just aren't built. Like their strengths are not going to be very helpful in this particular game. And you've also got Sean McVeigh with two weeks to prepare drawing up plays. And mm-hmm. I know I know that we have history. We have, oh, but the Rams sucked ass. They couldn't score. I think they scored three points against the Patriots when they were in the Super Bowl last time. What happened to Sean McVay then? Well, what happened is Jared Goff. People forget the Patriots should have lost that game because, and I say that as a person who rooted very hard for the Patriots in Boston that year. Jared Goff underthrew Robert Woods by a good 15 yards when Robert Woods was standing wide open on his way to the end zone would have been an easy touchdown. Matt Stafford makes that play. So you can't blame Sean McVay for putting the plays on the table to put the Rams in the winner's circle in the Super Bowl against the Patriots and that very good defense. I don't think that Matt Stafford will play like Jared Goff, because despite what a lot of people who are having fun on Twitter say, Matt Stafford is a lot better than Jared Goff. He's the much better quarterback in this game.
0: I agree with you. One thing I will say that worries me is Jesse Bates has been playing a lot better. Jesse Bates. He's returned to
1: form. He's been playing. And
0: we know that Stafford has a penchant for making really dumb decisions at the beginning of the game. And so I could see a Jesse Bates just like hawking a ball on the first or second drive and not necessarily scoring, but having a return gives us that classic Rams opener that we've had a handful of times this year. Yes. And
1: I would expect some chaos early because something that we know about Super Bowls okay, a lot of our Super Bowl stats are going to be a little bit skewed because Tom Brady has been in so many of them and he's Tom Brady. But even with Tom Brady, if you just look at the last like 10 Super Bowls, they start off really slow because no coach wants to come in and be the coach who, you know, got way too aggressive and fucked up real bad, calling some boneheaded player going forward on fourth and short in the first quarter of the Super Bowl and losing everything. And no quarterback wants to be the dude who threw the pick early in the game that fucks it all. Like, Super Bowls bet the under in the first half. Um, Actually, maybe don't because I think it's currently nine and a half and it's never smart to bet nine and a half because you could just wait and then live bet it somewhere into the first quarter under seven and a half, depending on what you've seen on the first two drives. That's a whole nother thing. But there will be more points in the second half than the first half, I promise. Chaos will ensue in the first half. That said, we're looking at a Bengals team that is notoriously awful with short fields. They have turned more interceptions in the in the red zone like they have turned the ball over giving their offense the ball in the red zone a ton this year and they consistently turn it into field goals because Joe Burrow is just awful in the red zone he does not have the velocity to make the tight window throws and he's not quite stupid enough to just loft the ball up there in tight coverage they kick a lot of field goals. I mean, look at the Titans game and the Raiders game. They took the ball away with a short field a lot of times, and every single one of them turned into a field goal. And yeah, maybe Matt Stafford throws a pick. Maybe Matt Stafford throws a pick. Jesse Bates catches it, runs it back to the 30. It's 3 nothing. Rams can overcome that.
0: Fair enough. And All right, you want to actually talk about the numbers now?
1: I will in a sec, but I got one more thing. Since the playoffs started, Matt Stafford in three games has two turnover-worthy plays. Two the infamous dropped punt to Tart in the 49ers game. And then he had one pickable ball in Tampa that was dropped. Actually, it wasn't even picked. Um, Arizona was the easiest, cleanest game ever. So no picks, but really he has tightened it up and been very clean. And it seems reasonable to me that one, when the pressure is on, he is more intense and not as careless with the ball. And two, Sean McVay is not taking any risks in the playoffs. He's going to get him clean looks.
0: That makes sense. So I'm You're not right. I'm not worried. So they're minus four. You taking them?
1: At minus four, yes. It's not going down. It's not going to get to Rams minus three. And I, I'd rather get it at minus four than minus six. That's about yeah, that's as much a, analysis as I have.
0: That's the same boat I was in. When it was at four and a half, I was like, I'll just wait. And once it came down to four, I was like,
1: you'd probably just go now. So I, I think that this game, there's, there's a way it should go, and there's a way it could theoretically go. The way it should go is it should be a Rams win by about 14 to 25 points. It should be a fucking route. Um, It should be the Chiefs first half against the Bengals, except no implosion in the second half, because worst case scenario, the Rams will just run the fucking ball in the second half. Whereas Patrick Mahomes gave the Bengals short fields. Um, It should be a route. The only way that it isn't a route is if the Bengals muck it up, get lucky, churn clock, keep it low scoring. In which case... I think the Rams still win. I don't think that, I think there's like a 20% chance that the Bengals pull out this win, maybe 25%. Um, therefore, I think about, if, I think half the time, if it's a low scoring game, the Bengals win. But I think that it's a low scoring game half the time. So I think I've got about a 50% chance that the Rams blow them the fuck out, in which case minus four is a good bet. I don't think the side is the way to get at this game. I think that there are too many easy bets out there. I think that we can get into the easier bets in a minute. But yeah, for the pod picks, I think we should go Rams minus four for a unit or two.
0: I'm in the same boat. I I agree with you that there is the avenue for this to fall on its face and it's for the bengals to do what they've done throughout the playoffs keep it low scoring run the ball a ton churn clock kick a shit ton of field goals keep the game close and then try and make something happen late and if that happens yeah minus four probably doesn't work because even if the rams win it's probably going to be three or four exactly or the bengals win uh on some late game workarounds but I think the Rams are the better team here. They're probably the best defense. The Bengals have had to play in the playoffs and they're going to be stretched offensive or on defense because the Rams are going to be able to give that front seven fits and have a lot of playmakers along with Sean McVay.
1: I I think that a better way to bet on this game is to use the money line because the money line's way out of whack. Um I got this from Steve Fezzik on the Dream Preview. So like I'll attribute, but it makes all the sense in the world. If you like the Rams, currently the money line is minus 175 on Bovada. If uh, Assuming that the line of minus four or minus four and a half is correct, that money line should be minus 220. Like typically 99% of the time you find a game that's minus four, the money line is minus 220. So we've got like a 50 cent discount on the money line and we know who the better team is we can avoid all the risk of the spread and just bet five units on the really, really good team beating the below average team. And a five unit bet wins you 2.9 units.
0: Yeah, obviously you're sacrificing a little bit on the odds there, but if we just go into the math of we think it's what, a 75% chance they win?
1: I would say that that's safe. And on a minus 175 bet, the imputed odds are basically that you win 59% of the time. So we're basically getting 15 points of advantage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good move.
1: It's a bet with a 15% ROI. Yeah. So do you want to do the five units on the money line or do you want to do two units on the spread? Let's do
0: five units on the money line. Fuck it.
1: Yeah. Fuck it. We're up nine units. If we lose this bet, we still made four units on the year, which isn't great, but it's acceptable. And frankly, I don't think that's a possibility. I think we're going to finish this year up about 12 units. That'll be nice.
0: Yeah, we'll see. You know what? I'm, I'm happy either way.
1: It was it was a fun year in a year with a lot of fuckery. It's a lot of fuckery. And next year is going to be a lot better because of all the fucking chaos. And we'll talk about that in the summer. Heck yeah. All right. I mean, I may put out some quick hitters just with some props that I like. But uh, I think that does it for our final call of the 2021 season.
0: Uh, yeah, I think that wraps us up. Obviously, yeah, we can find some. Props and keep an eye out for that but as far as the game itself rams minus four slash rams money line
1: yeah go rams i think i think it'll be a cakewalk i don't think it'll be the most interesting fourth quarter we've ever seen in a super bowl
0: i'm i'm not so super sure of that i'm hoping you're right i think it could get interesting but i think the rams should have this one
1: yeah all right well i guess that does it uh just one final time this year or this season i guess I can't ask you to tail us. I can't ask you to fade us. All I can ask is that you please bet on football games. Asta.